Well, on Sunday, or on Super Bowl Sunday, I should say, Americans eat a lot of food. Did you know that? We consume 11.2 million pounds of potato chips. Those are light and fluffy, right? Uh, not to be outdone, the almighty pig, uh, we consume uh, 12.5 million pounds of bacon on, on, on Super Bowl Sunday. But the granddaddy of them all, anybody know? Chicken wings. You ready for this? 1.2 billion chicken wings are eaten on Super Bowl Sunday, which according to Cornell University, the average American eats 6,000 calories on Super Bowl Sunday, and it's no wonder that the following day, Monday, antacid sales are up 20%. <laughs> well, Super Bowl is the second largest eating day in America. What's the first? Thanksgiving, right. At Thanksgiving, Americans make, you ready for this, 40 million green bean casseroles. <laughs> and about nine-tenths of that green bean casserole is thrown away the next day, right? Can I, right? I mean, if it's not brown, I'm not eating it on Thanksgiving, right? Another greens, red, none of that. We consume 50 million pumpkin pies, and we eat 736 million pounds of turkey. 736 million pounds. There's only like 300 million people in our country. We love our food, don't we? We love our food. In fact, turn to someone next to you. Tell them what your favorite restaurant is or your, one or two of your favorite restaurants. Do that right now. What's your favorite? If your favorite was a fast food, you have problems. <laughs> now, I am curious, did anybody say a restaurant that isn't in California? Anybody? Okay, we had a couple people. Did you know that coming to Sacramento is a Cracker Barrel? Now, uh, that's coming to Sacramento. I've heard of it. I have no idea what it is, but apparently it's a pretty good place. So it's coming to uh, 1000 Howe Avenue. I have no idea how I know that. Um, but I'll be there at grand opening. Now, how many times have you finished a giant meal and said to yourself, oh, I don't think I'll ever eat again? You've done that, haven't you? And here's what's interesting. When you say that in the moment, you actually believe it, don't you? You're like, I cannot ever comprehend eating again. But guess what? We get hungry again, don't we? We get hungry again every single time. That food didn't fully satisfy us and finally satisfy us like we thought. Now, Jesus said something very interesting. We're talking about who Jesus says that he is. And he said this in John chapter 6, speaking of food. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Who is Jesus? He wants us to know that he's a savior who alone can satisfy our true and deepest hunger. That he alone can satisfy our deepest longings. It's why uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy then the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. Very perceptive. And he understood. But what he was saying was that when we seek what the world offers, 
whether it's material things or social status or comfort or security, man, we're always going to long for more. We're always going to want more. We're not going to be satisfied. We'll want more. But if we partake of and with what Jesus said is the bread of life, our true hunger, our deepest of longings will not only be taken care of, all of our deepest and truest needs will be met. If you haven't done so already, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And as Jesus often does, he will illustrate for us and he'll talk about something in the physical, but it has greater significance spiritually. And this is no different in this example. And in John 6, Jesus is going to lead us down a path and he's going to talk about physical hunger, but he's really going to direct us to talk about spiritual satisfaction. Now, before we dive into the story, let me give you a little bit of context. When you go out to eat at a restaurant, let's say you go out to Texas Roadhouse, right? Or, or Olive Garden, any amens right now? Or, or, you know, maybe a spaghetti factory. What's the first thing they bring out? They bring out the bread, right? And, and you're just like, you're loving that bread. And for us, they bring it out. It's an appetizer, so to speak. It's the extra. It's the preparation for the main meal. Now, I know, I know. Some of you use as a strategy when you go to these particular restaurants, you load up on bread so when the main meal comes, you're full so you can take it home to have it as a meal the next day. Raise your hand if that's your strategy. Come on. I know a bunch of you do that. It's not a bad strategy. But typically, for most of us, bread is the extra. Well, in the ancient world, bread played a far more important part in sustaining life for people. The reality is that people primarily lived on bread and water. And if you were able to have some meat or have some fish or some dates to go along with your bread and maybe have some, my, uh, some wine, you were eating well. In other words, meat was the side dish. So for what is for you and I a little appetizer, for the Jews, it was the main part of their diet. So when Jesus is saying to them that I am the bread of life, he's saying a few different things. But first of all, he's saying that he is meant to be the most important part of our life. He's to be the main course of our life, that which sustains our life. Now in ancient Israel, uh, people would, uh, poorer people would use barley to make bread. The wealthier would use wheat. But it basically meant that everyone had bread or had access to bread. And so by using this metaphor, Jesus is saying that, hey, as the bread of life, I'm accessible to everybody. I'm available to everyone. Also, back in the Jewish culture back then, when you shared bread with somebody, when you actually sat down and in a me a partook in a meal, you were essentially bonded for life. You were, that meant you were friends for life. And Jesus, likewise, as our bread of life, he's offering us a friendship. Well, he calls us friends, a friendship that will never end. But another big aspect of bread is that it symbolized God's presence with his people. Back in the Old Testament, when you had the tabernacle and then you had the temple, outside of what was called the Holy of Holies, there was a gold table. And on that gold table, it held two stacks of six loaves of flatbread. And those 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The tabernacle and then the temple, they were continually filled with this bread. The bread was called showbread 
or it was called the bread of the presence, Exodus 25 and Numbers 4. This bread of the presence conveyed a theme about God. And the theme was that God was with his people in the bread, that God was sustaining them, that God was feeding them, that God was providing for them. So that's our context. With that in mind, let's look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Well, in the first 15 verses of the chapter, we read about Jesus turning a boy's five barley loaves, which that should be an indication, poor person. But he's pretty lucky today because he has five barley loaves and two small fish. And Jesus turns that into a feast for 5,000 men, which meant 15 to 20,000 people. And after everybody had as much as they wanted, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to pick up and gather what's left over. And the Bible tells us that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Why? Was that on purpose, do you think? You think Jesus maybe was thinking ahead? 12 baskets of leftover bread. As I mentioned, bless you, in Exodus, <laughs> in Exodus and Numbers and also in Leviticus 24, the priests would put the 12 loaves of fish, or fish, of fresh bread. They would put those out, the bread of presence or the show bread. They'd put it into the temple every single Sabbath. I don't know if they caught it. You and I are looking back. We're, our minds are working right now. We're maybe getting it. But Jesus was sure, certainly showing them that God was present with them through Jesus. That he was the living showbread. He was the living uh, presence of God with them. They may not have caught that, but they certainly caught something because in John chapter 6, verse 14, it tells us that they were wondering, hey, after seeing this miracle, is Jesus our promised prophet, our promised Messiah? Now, why did they believe that? What was that thinking? Because the Jews believed that a day was going to come when their prophet, when their Messiah, that he would come and he would provide manna or bread from heaven just like you know, Moses had done many uh, centuries prior. So when they saw the loaves literally multiplying before their very eyes, the Bible tells us in John chapter 6, verse 15, notice what it says. They wanted to make Jesus king on the spot right there. He's our Messiah. He's our prophet. He's our king. And if he's our Messiah and king, you know what he's going to do? He's going to feed us every day with bread or manna from heaven. And he's going to wipe out our Roman occupiers, our enemy. He's going to do all that at the same time. We want him to be our king our prophet, our Messiah. But Jesus had other plans. And the next verse, verse 15, tells us that Jesus withdrew from them and went off by himself. John chapter 6, verse 17, then goes on to tell us that Jesus had told his disciples, go get in a boat and cross over to Capernaum. Uh, and they, they, they sail out and head on out. And in the midst of that, in the midst of a storm, Jesus comes, he does another miracle. He walks on water, meets up with them, joins them, and then they head off to Capernaum. Well, the crowds aren't done. I mean, they just were part of this incredible miracle and they want to make Jesus king and they want more bread. And so they're following him around the shoreline and they meet up with Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum. They wanted the physical blessings. They wanted more of the physical blessings. They weren't concerned about spiritual blessings. They wanted the physical. They didn't care about the spiritual. And I wonder, are we so, we're similar, aren't we? How often our biggest focus, our biggest concern is our physical appetite 
The Bible talks about it uh, oftentimes in, in language like the, the lust of the eyes, the, the lust of the flesh. We want more. It's the desires of the physical. We want more and more and more, just like they did. So let's pick it up. John chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus said to them, and we're going to say a word together. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I perform. Why, why are you looking for me? Because you're fat and happy here. You ate the loaves and had your fill. And then what does Jesus say? Do not what? Do not, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is starting to get, you know, say some things that are going to start to trip him out a little bit. And I want to ask you, Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils. What are you working for? Or to say it another way, what are you living for? Is it bigger, the bigger or better item? The promotion? Are you working for or living for that standard of living that you want? That you perceive that if I can get that, if I can get there, that's what's going to make my life happy and that's where I'll be peaceful and content? The world has many things that promise and offer you and I happiness, but the, the Bible and Jesus is letting us know there is only one source of true joy and that comes from feeding on the bread of life. Well, like many of us, the people thought in John chapter 6, verse 28, that they needed to do something. They needed to do work that would earn God's favor or earn God's approval. And I love the answer that Jesus gave in verse 29. Look what he says. You want to work? You want to earn? You want to do something? Here's your, the work of God. It's this. To what? To believe. Believe in the one he has sent. If you insist on working, your job description is simple. Believe. Trust. Trust in Jesus. That's your work. But that wasn't working for them. They weren't wanting to believe in that way. They wanted, verse 30 tells us, another sign from Jesus. And I think we oftentimes do the same thing. We continually ask God for more, ask God for something else while forgetting what he's already done. Jesus had already done an incredible miracle. And rather than focusing on that God has already proven, he's already demonstrated, he's already shown who he is, they're like, no, 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 no. We don't care about the spiritual stuff and believing. We want more. And I just wonder if we forget about how God has provided for us, that he's been faithful and that he'll continue to be faithful to us in the future, whatever you're going through. I want to encourage you, if you're going through something difficult right now, to remember how God has taken care of you in the past. Remember how God has provided for you in the past. Remember how God has been there for you in the past. And let that be your encouragement for you in the present. Don't ask for another sign. Don't ask for more. God will sustain you. Trust in him. John chapter 6, verse 31, he goes on and he says this. He says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. That's the whole story of Moses. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, in their minds, they thought Moses was the one who had provided all that manna, all that bread from heaven for 40 years, sustaining them in the desert. And they're thinking, well, you know, Moses did that for 40 years. Jesus, you did it one time. I mean, that's great. You know, the manna, it came from heaven. Jesus, you took some kid's stuff right there and you multiplied it. So Jesus, if you're really from God, if you're our true Messiah, you're going to need to up your game a little bit. You're going to need to give us a little more. You're going to need to give us another sign. We need more from you. Jesus, I believe, but I need more. 
And Jesus said to them, I, verse 32, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bed, bread from heaven. He's trying to correct them. Let's make sure we understand. God's the one who provides. God always is the one who provides, not Moses. He goes on and then he redefines it. And he's taking us through a journey. He talks about the physical. He's leading us into something far deeper. And he tells us in the next verse, defining true bread, John chapter 6, verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. And I want to say this word together. Comes down from heaven and gives what? It gives Life. life to the world. You see, what you and I want, what what they wanted, the manna, the physical appetites, we want that which is only temporary. And God says, I'm giving you something from heaven that will actually give you life. God wants to give each and every person here life. Jesus said it this way, John 10.10, I want to give you life to the fullest. Well, this whet their appetite. In the very next verse, John 6, 34, they're like, okay, well, if that's it, hey, sir, give us more. We'll we'll always give us this bread. And this verse is exposing to you and I some of the wrong reasons that people turn to God and how they even reject the gospel even when they finally understand it because we're looking for the wrong type of bread from heaven. I mean, think about it. Think about all the different reasons that people come to God. Reality is that many come to God because they want God to meet their need. They're going through difficult circumstances. Life is tough. And in the midst of that difficulty, and in the midst of those challenges, they finally turn to God. And these needs, they're almost always physical or material rather than spiritual. And when we turn to God and we finally say, okay, God, I'm here, we then expect him to meet those needs, don't we? We want the physical health. We want success and security and safety and a good job and a nice house. And we want more stuff, bigger homes, bigger TVs, better this, more vacations. And when God doesn't meet those physical needs like we want because we think, hey, God, I've come to you finally. So meet my needs. And when he doesn't come through like we hope, like we wish, what happens? That God we came to, we all of a sudden kick him, don't we? And we get angry at him, don't we? And we start to blame God. And we start to get mad at him and angry. God, I thought if I came to you, you'd take care of me. Oh, he'll take care of you. And he will meet your greatest need when you come to him in true faith. What is your greatest need? Is it the physical? Your greatest need, my greatest need, the greatest need of all those in the world is our need for the forgiveness of our sins. Did you hear what I just said? That is our greatest need, to be forgiven from our sins. Because the Bible makes it crystal clear that the wages of our sin, what we earn, what we deserve for our sin against Almighty God, the Bible says the wages of sin is eternal death, eternal separation from God. And so that's the primary need that Jesus came to fulfill in you and I. He came to save us from our sins. And so he went on to say it again, John chapter 6, verse 35, I'm the bread of life. And here's where he's turning this. It's not just a physical thing he's talking about. He says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And if you take that to mean that Jesus is talking about the physical, 
then you will travel down a theological path that is extremely dangerous, damaging, and just unbiblical. You'll travel down a path that some people would call the health wealth gospel. As my dad always called it, the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. That, hey, Jesus said, if you come to me, you're not going to go hungry. You're not going to go thirsty. God's going to provide for your needs. Because when we go down that path, we think Jesus is talking about the physical. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the eternal. Coming to Jesus, as he says here, is believing, trusting in him with our lives so that we can be saved. But that's not what they wanted to hear. That's not the message they were hoping for. In fact, John chapter 6, verse 41, notice what it says there. It says they began to grumble, didn't they? They began to grumble about what Jesus was saying when he said, hey, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And how often do we grumble at what God says to us as well? We're like, I don't like that, God. Come on, God, I don't, you know, can you say something else? That's not jiving with me. In verse 42, we even find out part of the reason why they were grumbling. They say this. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, I came from heaven? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? In other words, they're like, hey, he didn't come down from heaven. He came from next door. You know, they're like, hey, who is this Jesus guy? He's just the guy down the street. They were minimizing him and minimizing their role in his life. And I wonder how often that happens to us. We're in danger of that. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've been, uh, you know, in church a long time. Maybe you, believe, you, know, you know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about Jesus. You know the Christmas story and the Easter story. You can say the right th- things. You are dialed in that, with that, in that sense. You are plenty familiar with Jesus. I want to give us a word of caution that we be careful. We be careful that we don't allow what we know about Jesus to keep us from actually knowing Jesus. It's a danger we're all in. The Bible says something very interesting about the demons, the fallen angels. It says they believe. They already, they believe, they know. You can believe. But believing and having a saving, trusting faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior are two different things. Jesus goes on and he repeats his metaphor again in John chapter 6, verse 48, saying, I am the bread of life. And then he turns a corner. And now he's going to really start to bring it. I mean, now he's going to start to hit them on a level that they're not expecting at all. Why is Jesus here? What's his role in our, in our lives? What's his mission? What's his purpose? Let's look at this. John chapter 6, verse 51. Notice what he says. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Let's say this together. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Another translation says, I offer this bread so the world will live. In my flesh. John chapter 6, verse 52 tells us this caused the, the crowd to start arguing. In the Greek, the, the word there for arguing, it actually means that they broke out in a fist fight. People were taking sides about what was being said and they're confused and they can't believe this. And they're confused because Jesus is making it seem like we must become cannibals. And Jesus, instead of backing off, he's now going to double down. Look what he says next. John chapter 6, verse 53. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his what? Drink his blood. You You have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. And just for clarity, was Jesus talking about cannibalism? Of course not. Of course not. What is he saying? He uses the physical to describe something spiritual. And this is a graphic and vivid picture of believing, of trusting in Jesus, of true saving faith. What we would also call, the Bible says, is repentance. What the Bible also calls surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul uses the Greek, uh, Greek word pistis or faith, and Paul always meant surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what, he, that's what that meant, word meant. And so here we see it's this picture, it's this image, and belief is trust and faith, saving faith, surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what you and I know, because we come after the fact of this, we know the rest of the story. We know what Jesus is talking about right here. It's something we do every Sunday here at LifePoint. He's talking about what? Communion. It's a picture of communion or the Lord's Supper. Supper. And so when you and I participate in communion, which we're going to do together at the end of the service, we are actually reaffirming our trust and our faith in Jesus as the Savior of the world, in Jesus as our Savior. So the people had to decide. What are they going to do with this? What are they going to do with this teaching? They wanted their physical needs met. They wanted their material needs met. Why? Because I think they're very similar to you and I. Our material needs, our physical needs, they're pressing. They're kind of right, you know, on, on the doorstep of our lives. And, and we want those needs met. We're not always thinking about long-term eternal rewards. And so the idea of Jesus, the bread of life, and giving us an unending supply of bread or an unending supply of physical blessings, that sounds appealing to us. That'll make our daily lives easier. And yet Jesus was constantly teaching and reminding us that there's something that's far more important than bigger, better, faster, stronger, better than money, better than homes, cars, families, holidays, vacations, whatever the case may be. What's more important is a relationship with God revealed through his son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Only this will sustain us along our life's journey and prepare us for the life to come. So you and I, we have a decision to make as well. Just like the people of Jesus' day, we have to decide. We have to make a decision about who Jesus actually is. Well, the people made a decision. Notice what the Bible says next, John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his, his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can what? Who can, who can accept it? Who can accept it? Uh, this is hard for them. Verse uh, 61 indicates that it, the message was even offensive to people. And as a result, many people wouldn't accept it. And please don't miss this. The issue isn't whether or not they understood it. They understood bread and the metaphor and the image. They understood it better than you and I do. They understood the message. The issue was whether or not they were willing to accept the message, whether or not they were willing to embrace the message. What about you? I mean, come on, we know a lot about Jesus. We don't necessarily need more data in our life. The issue is deciding who's going to lead our life. 
Am I going to let Jesus lead my life? Am I going to be honest and say, Jesus, I haven't been willing to fully surrender to you. I want the physical blessings that you offer, and then, yeah, I'll take the spiritual thing later one day, but I'm, I'm more focused on here and now. And Jesus is like, no. My kingdom and my, me, we're, we're about much more than right now. Surrender your life to me, and I will take your life that you live on this earth, and I will give you hope, and I will give you a future, and I'll give you the life that I want you to have if you will trust me. Yeah, but I don't like that standard, Jesus. I don't like that teaching. They didn't either. And John chapter 6, verse 66, which I think is interesting. You know, verses weren't written originally, but John 666, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I just think that's kind of interesting. 666, that's not following God, abandoning God, deserting God. They left because Jesus offered what they needed, but it wasn't what they wanted. What about you? Are you going to walk away? Are you going to walk away from Jesus when his word is tough? When a message is shared, when God speaks to you through another person, when you open the Bible and you see his truth, are you going to say, ah, I'm not going to believe in that anymore. I've got to bail. I'm out of here. Jesus watched the crowds thin. He turns to his disciples in verse 67 and said, do you guys want to leave also? Peter then says in the next verse, verse 68, Lord, he's, where are we going to go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's like, hey, Jesus, it's not always easy what you talk about. I, I wish you would do some things that, that would make my life a little easier, but I'm recognizing that you have something that's bigger and better, and I need to trust you and trust that you got, you got me in your hands, and I need to trust that your plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. And so, Jesus, you're the one with the words of life. You're the ones with truth. And so I'm putting all my hope and all my faith and all my trust in you. Have you done the same? Have you put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Will you believe? Will you receive the one who has said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Will you say yes to the bread of life?